and welcome to today's episode of In Fellowship, the podcast where we explore community building through a chapter-by-chapter read of The Lord of the Rings. My name is Anna. And my name is Ellen. And in today's episode, we are discussing Book 3, Chapter 11, The Palantir, Exploring Change in Community. Okay, Anna, so really important question here. I'm reading Mm -hmm. the book. I'm flipping Mm -hmm. through, learning lots. Page 222. Mm Mm-hmm. Quote, this is Gandalf, slinging the small bag, which was all his luggage across his shoulders, the wizard leapt upon the horse's back. Mm-hmm. What do you think is in Gandalf's bag? What does his luggage go to? This is an excellent question. Thank you. I was like, a toothbrush? Yeah, like, because he just wears his robes. I mean, it's right. the same outfit every day. Yep. We've yet to determine whether he needs to eat or drink Mm because I don't believe it's mentioned at all. I think they might like briefly break bread at Edoras Mm -hmm. when he comes in with Legolas and Gimli and Aragorn, but I'm not sure. So maybe like a snack? (laughs) So like some loose granola and an eye mask for (laughs) when he needs to sleep and rest. Right. And maybe like... A traveling cloak that he doesn't need to wear all the time, but he could wear if it gets cooler at night, but he can also ball up as a pillow. Mm, mm -hmm. I like the idea of a toothbrush and then maybe like a... Like a beard comb? A beard comb and uh, his dop bag of bathroom items. (laughs) (laughs) And some sort of like drinking horn. Oh, a pipe. And a pipe. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay, that's good. I was, because I I was sitting here thinking about it and could really not get past toothbrush. (laughs) Because I was thinking, what else does Gandalf need that he would bring? We never see him pulling out a book or journaling or anything like that. And you're right, he does not change his clothes. He is a one-outfit man. Right. Okay, but that's good. That's a full bag. So that's what... That's what Gandalf is one bagging all the way through Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. We love a man who packs light. And okay, so here's here's a question then. Is this a situation where every so often they're stopping to perhaps rinse or air out the clothes that they're wearing or just like we are sweating and trekking and riding horses for as long as it takes and Our pungent, pungent smell is going to give our position away at some point during this, this journey. For sure, pungent smell. Right. (laughs) Well, Legolas probably doesn't sweat, so he's fine. (laughs) Right. And then TBD, I don't know, maybe Gandalf has some sort of magical way of cleaning himself. But I'm Mm. pretty sure they each bathe like once per book. And right. it's whenever they get to a place of rest. Mm-hmm. There's probably a bath in Lothlorien. Mm-hmm. There's probably going to be one at the end. But yeah, in the middle, <laughs> it's like we they have enough else going on. Right. They're not going to get naked in the middle of the world. Leave their sword aside to, to bathe. I respect that. However, yeah. I would say that at some point, are you not like crusty and also maybe chafing as you're like running through the earth because you've not like removed your armor it at any point for months on end 
Like, logistically, that feels very challenging to me. So one of my friends through-hiked the uh, Pacific Crest Trail, mm-hmm. and she used Body Glide and Baby Powder to mm. make it weeks between showers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So maybe he's maybe Aragorn's got those like thigh savers that you like <laughs> rub on your thighs <laughs> so that you don't chafe as you're walking around. Maybe that's why everyone's so cranky. I feel like we could solve this conflict if everybody just gets to bathe a little bit more and is chafing a little bit less. You're less likely to be evil then, I feel. Well, and that's what it, that's what the hobbits taught us. You know, they talk in book one about the pleasures of a bath and also of bathing with friends, which was just really sweet. So mm-hmm. they, if they were running this trip, it would be it would be a lot more luxurious. Mm hmm glamping as it were yes they would glamp their way uh up the mountain and back (laughs) perfect i love that i love that for them (laughs) if for some reason this is our listeners first podcast if you're jumping in mid to late season we respect that we support that Welcome. Then welcome. This is the time in the podcast where we take turns telling stories about our lives that tie in with the chapter and the theme. So mm-hmm. Anna, how about you tell us a story about change in community? Originally, um, in this story, I'm working at a job where I had worked quite a long time. I was pretty confident in what needed to get done, how it needed to get done. So I felt pretty settled in that regard. We were hiring for a position. I was a part of the hiring committee, and ultimately, um, I was really impressed with one of our candidates. We ended up working together for slightly over a year. When they first started, and we've since now chatted about this, their impression of me was that I was very intense and too put together, I believe, was the the phrase used. And this qualified me as unapproachable. Now, this is particularly funny to me because that was not the first time that I'd received such feedback that, like, I came across as not very personable. Like, it was kind of a process to get to know me where all of a sudden you're like, oh, she is kind of silly and she is kind of strange. And that makes her endearing as opposed to just pretentious and arrogant (laughs) and unapproachable. So as I got to know this coworker a bit more, we like had some good conversation. We were becoming friends. We had some of the same nerdy attributes and bonded over things like Harry Potter. And she introduced me to a book club that I'm still a part of now. And so we became pretty close. And now that we're good friends and I see her regularly, it really changed her perception of like why I came across so intensely upon our first meeting and first couple of interactions. And that really changed her perception of me. As we became friends, though, it also kind of changed how I wanted to come across in different interactions. And this was particularly important to me most recently because I did change jobs. And so I was coming into a group of people that I didn't know 
and really wanted to make an impactful first impression. And I also work in a role where it's helpful if people want to come talk to me about things. And so if I come across as too intense or closed off, then that's not likely to happen and that makes my job a lot harder. So in this new job, trying to be a bit more self-aware, I really tried to be more vulnerable earlier in a way that still felt like me and they were still stories that I would tell eventually to a person, Um, but that also maybe humanized me a bit more, made me seem more friendly so that I could bond with my coworkers and so that I could be much more effective in community with those that I work with and I work for. And so that feedback became really invaluable because since receiving that feedback and and building those relationships, I was able to be much more adaptable, much more nimble in new settings now and to be a bit more mindful about how I come across. I think that really has allowed me to garner trust much more effectively in this new role and has allowed me to move into community spaces, spaces where I don't know folks much more easily. Um, and to showcase other parts of my personality that maybe I wouldn't think to do naturally, but I'm aware that not doing so may uh, unintentionally signify that I'm closed off. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously biased because I've known you for forever, and so I don't think of you at all as unapproachable, but you do certainly have an intensity to you. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Which I I think is endearing and helpful in in most situations, if not all. Well, I appreciate that. (laughs) Because both the parents were like, yeah, I mean, you do. You are. You're you're intense. It's like you have like loyalty intensity. Like it, it, it translates into positive things, too. I think so. I think the challenge and some of what I was helped to realize is that in a professional setting, I really am very focused on getting the work done. That's my Mm -hmm. primary objective while I'm there. And that I'm not thinking about making relationships as a first thought. Mm -hmm. That isn't how other people experience the workplace. And that also isn't how people want to experience their coworkers. And so if I can sort of loosen that focus a bit, then I can still get the work done and still build teams that are effective towards that. And also build some relationships that ultimately are helpful in the long run. Mm -hmm. Having that pointed out to me and and not having that personal or more social context outside of the work environment, folks just like didn't have that other part of my personality to be like, oh, she is more than just an automaton who wants to get work done. So in your story, I I fully believe that people can change and that you can consciously make choices to mm-hmm. to change yourself when you receive feedback like this. In your really close long-term relationships, I'm thinking husband, nuclear family, do mm-hmm. you think you can change or their perception of you can change? Or when you've known somebody for so long, is it kind of set? Uh, this is how I see that person. Mm. Well, I will say that who I am not in those settings doesn't always translate back to my close personal relationships. 
some of the ways that I show up at work are I am the decision maker and I am the driver and I am the person who comes organized and ready to move things forward. And in our family, that role is often played by like you or mom. And so I notice that I tend to take more of a back seat in those roles. And I don't know whether that was a conscious effort that I like sought out spaces where I needed to do that. Um, but I do think that there is a very relational way where some different aspects of your personality may be called into a space or muted in a space depending on who's there. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be a little bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if your family context is such that you are always the person who's the organizer and the doer and the whatever, then it would take a very conscious effort, I think, by both parties, one, to change their perception and two, to change how you show up for that dynamic to monumentally shift. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, thank you for diving in on all of this changing in yourself and changing how people in community and in relationship around you view you. So we're going to chat a little bit more about some examples of change and talk a little bit more about what even happened in the chapter. So Ellen, can you kind of lay the groundwork for what were the major events in chapter 11? Yes, which should be easy because I feel like not a lot happened in this one. Mm -hmm. So the group leaves Orthanc and they are riding away at a really leisurely, a leisurely pace, actually, is how I'd like to say that. And they go to make camp for the night. So as they're laying in bed at camp, Pippin and Mary are chatting. Mary's trying to go to bed and Pippin cannot stop thinking about the stone. And this is the stone that Wormtongue hurled out of Orthanc to try to hit maybe Sauron, maybe Gandalf, maybe both, and then picked up and carried to Gandalf. And somehow from him holding it, he is being pulled slowly, inexorably back towards the stone. So he can't stop thinking about it, and he creeps over to where Gandalf is sleeping, cuddled up with the stone. And he finds a large rock to swap it out, which is hilarious to me, and runs away to look into the stone. It's a little bit unclear at first what's happening, but we learn a few pages after the fact that as Pippin is looking into the stone, the eye of Sauron is on him and is conversing with him. So he cries out after this sort of mute struggle and Gandalf interrogates Pippin to figure out what happened, what did he divulge, and it is insinuated that Sauron thinks Pippin is being held prisoner in Orthanc and has the ring. So Gandalf gives Aragorn the stone and then <gasps> the Nazgul come! So their plans to ride away leisurely are completely thrown out the window. Gandalf yells like, wait not for the slow, which I read as, you snooze, you lose. And then Pippin is whisked off to Minas Tirith. The other members of the company are left behind to make their own way to Helm's Deep. And the chapter ends with Gandalf sharing some lore about this stone, which we learned is called the Palantir, 
to Pippin as Pippin slowly falls asleep, galloping across the plains on Shadowfax. Did I get it all? I think you got it all. All right. I will say that I think it's really funny what you pointed out where he swaps out the Palantir for the rock because it's very like indiana jones like we're trying to swap it out and there's just no way that especially when it's that heavy and i imagine pippin to be like kind of a small yeah he's uh, got little arms (laughs) right like this feels like a very weighty thing that he's somehow quickly but also quietly right swapping out from the arms of a sleeping wizard i don't know that just seems it seems untenable <laughs> who for sure needs the sleep mask you mentioned earlier that's in his bag because he sleeps with his eyes partially open which is a right little strange yes that made me deeply and then he, uncomfortable like, snuggles up to the to the rock after <laughs> pippin swaps it right so that's what that's what happened in the chapter it's mm-hmm. all incredibly important plot points even if it's not as jazzy as some of the other chapters are that we have read recently. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there are plenty of opportunities for the theme in there. Did you want to walk us through some of the examples you saw? Yes. So I found a couple that we should chat about. One is, I believe, the very first page of the chapter. Yes, 213. So it reads, quote, Treebeard stood alone there now, like the distant stump of an old tree. The hobbits thought of their first meeting upon the sunny ledge far away on the borders of Fangorn. So they kind of talk about how their perception of Treebeard has changed pretty dramatically based on the events leading up to this chapter, as well as kind of how they understood Treebeard initially, kind of that changing perception based on based on your community and based on how they know him now. That's interesting that you read it as that. I thought that was just such a strange sentence, and I wasn't quite sure why they were thinking of him on the sunny ledge, but I like that that they were remembering perhaps the fear that they first had when they when they saw him and now they know a little bit that they should be afraid <laughs> mm-hmm. but also that he is a friend i also think too it seems to communicate like treebeard was kind of this happy-go-lucky as much as an ent can be character who had not yet been mired in this global conflict mm-hmm. And so that sunny ledge seems to communicate like a happier time or a simpler time. And now he looks a bit like a distant stump of an old tree. So kind of this more disheveled, decrepit, worn away tree Mm -hmm. um, that has weathered literal and figurative storms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so then my next example is on page 216. And it's a, an, an exchange between Mary and Pippin. Pippin, so Mary sort of teases up a little bit to have this conversation. Pippin is talking about Mary having ridden with Gandalf and asking some questions of him um, and that Mary got some more information than he typically would have. And Pippin says, can I? Good, but he's close, isn't he? Not changed at all. And Mary says, oh, yes, he is. 
said Mary, waking up a little and beginning to wonder what was bothering his companion. He has grown or something. He can be both kinder and more alarming, merrier and more solemn than before, I think. He has changed, but we have not had a chance to see how much yet. And I think some of this also has to do with the fact that um, last time they saw Gandalf, he was Gandalf the Grey, and now he's Gandalf the White. Mm -hmm. But they're noting among the two of them that he does, he is still Gandalf, but he is different. Mm -hmm. I wonder if as you level up as a wizard, your wizardness just makes you more mercurial. Like you just become more, you just become more. Right, like it's enhancing all of the extremes of your personality. So your happiness is much happier. Your anger is much more angry, which like, then one of my favorite quotes, which we'll talk about later, seems really quite relevant Mm -hmm. in the fact that they are sometimes subtle and very quick to anger, those wizards. Yes. (laughs) Yes, they are. And then kind of on that same page and a little bit of change and growth for Pippin is Mary notes that he's asking a lot of questions and that's not very much like him. So Mary says, quote, go to sleep, said Mary. You'll get information enough sooner or later. My dear Pippin, no took ever beat a brandy book for inquisitiveness. But is this the time I ask you? Pippin sort of changing a little bit, maybe thinking more deeply about the events of what's going on. And ultimately, we learn it's because of this draw mm-hmm. of the Palantir, but really, you know, a change probably as well from just being out in the world and having to think a bit more about global forces than the simple toke on a pipe and what he's having for dinner. Right. Second dinner. Right. It makes me wonder if he would have been able to bear the ring as well as Frodo, because he has only held this stone for less than a minute. And already it's really, it's changed him and is pulling at him. I wonder if the the draw of the ring, which I assume is stronger than the draw of the stone, would wear him down quicker than we've seen it wear down Frodo. I have to imagine that it would, especially because you are wearing it, so it is constant contact, and the force behind it is the same force of the stone. So That's right. It just feels like, yeah, it feels like there's no way for, if this is the impact of the stone, that a ring over the course of three months or longer, a year, could have had less of an impact. Mm-hmm. And then really the last example kind of happens through the second half of the chapter, but I thought there was a good example of it on page 222, where we have this very dramatic change of pace and change in urgency, right? So as you noted in your in your summary, there's this very sort of leisurely pace that the group elects to take as they leave Orthanc. And then with some ominous omens, namely the Nazgul, they're like, oh snap, we gotta we gotta pick up the pace a little bit here. So then there become a a sequence of events in which that's confirmed for them and that all of a sudden it's like, okay, it's not even that we have to move quickly, it's that we have to move at lightning speed, we need to break up the group and we need to travel as though we're being chased much more so than, than we initially anticipated. The rest of the chapter, it just feels like events, conversations, decisions are made much more quickly. Yeah, the pace really does speed up 
which is interesting because I thought that Gandalf and Pippin's conversation about the stone moved very slowly. Mm-hmm. It, it's kind of like when you're traveling on a road trip and it's like, oh, shoot, we got to get the car packed. Let's go. And then you're on the road and it's, oh, well, now we have eight hours until the destination. Let's let's dive into some Middle Earth history. Mm-hmm. That was kind of the vibe I got from the moment they had ridden away on Shadowfax. But there was that change, that change of pace you talked about. Right. And the, and the rest of the group is noticing it as well, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they're, again, making decisions about who's going where and who's taking what in, like, two or three sentences, mm-hmm. where up until that point, there's much more conversation between the characters, there's much more debate, reflection, etc. And so we're sort of coming off of that not necessarily restful pace that mm-hmm. they experienced in Orthanc, but certainly there's a level of urgency that we haven't felt previously, or at least in the last few chapters. Yes. The storm is coming. Ride, ride, wait not for the dawn. You gotta move on. Let's go. Let's go. Saddle up. Except for not saddle up. <laughs> That's right. We're riding elf fashion today. That's correct. So those are my examples. Uh, Did you see any others that we should chat about? So I almost made this my talking with Tolkien, but because it's just so mm, haunting. But the very last sentence, which is on page 228, Mm -hmm. quote, as he fell slowly into sleep, Pippin had a strange feeling. He and Gandalf were still as stone, seated upon the statue of a running horse, while the world rolled away beneath his feet with a great noise of wind. I think his perception of how... I'm reading a metaphor into into this, Mm -hmm. and it feels as though Pippin's view of how important they are in the world is changing. And to me, it seems like he's realizing how small they are in the vast space of this wilderness that they're riding through. Mm Mm-hmm but also like how important Gandalf is. So I just, it felt like one of those moments, I don't know if you've ever been meditating where you just kind of realize how little you are and you're like, wow, there is so much world around me. That's mm-hmm. how this read to me and that Pippin's perspective has has changed. I often have that thought in airports, like particularly yeah. busy airports where you are all of a sudden face-to-face with the reality that there are these thousands of other people at this airport and all of them are leaving somewhere, going to somewhere, have friends, family, community that they're maybe missing. Their own inner thoughts. Their own inner dialogue about what's happening. And and it feels so noticeable to me in the airport particularly Mm -hmm. because I am also traveling and so I'm kind of aware of like my thoughts maybe at a more heightened level Mm -hmm. so i feel more susceptible to noticing that in others as well because they are all in theory making some level of those same decisions Mm -hmm. and i think pippin a little bit in parallel a skosh is thinking about these things because he's also now been placed in the center of something that he had been very peripheral to previously Mm -hmm. and so his perception is maybe more likely to change because the context has changed and he really can't continue to perceive things in the same way. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. That one stuck out to me, I'm sure, also because it's the last thing that you read before the next book, next chapter begins. Mm-hmm. 
it was for someone who has never ridden bareback across the world's fastest horse in a meadow with a wizard. I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? No, that feeling is pretty relatable. I have had that mm-hmm. change in perspective. <laughs> right. That was my only additional example to, to bring. Love it. That was a good one. Should we chat about, beyond just the events of the chapter and examples of the theme, what quotes stood out to us in our Talking with Tolkien section? Yes. So I had one, which I just thought was funny. It's on page 226. This is during Pippin and Gandalf's long discussion about everything Palantir. Mm -hmm. Gandalf says, Mercy! If the giving of information is to be the cure of your inquisitiveness, I shall spend all the rest of my days in answering you. And it was, uh, it's a good wizard burn. <laughs> mm-hmm. Gandalf is so full of that. He is so full of these, these lengthy, verbose sentences that are also a little bit of a burn. Mm-hmm. And if I were to ever have children one day and they were doing that thing where they go, why, why, why? I want to have this in my back pocket so I can pull it out (laughs) and talk about their inquisitiveness. Right. Yeah, Gandalf does, perhaps his passive aggressiveness has also heightened a bit since becoming Gandalf the White. (laughs) Gandalf the White, the sass is turned up before it was Mm -hmm. a seven, now it's a twelve. Right. It's on a scale of 10, by the way. So that 12 is above and beyond. We are breaking the meter. We have broken the Sassa meter. (laughs) That was my talking to Tolkien. What did you bring? I have one that's quite grim and one that's well known and amusing. So I'll start with the grim one first. Perfect. So that's on page 221. And it's Theoden chatting with Aragorn and the group at large. And he says, quote, it has long been said, oft evil will shall evil mar. As I, they're kind of chatting about like Saruman and the stone and him making decisions. And it just, it felt like a good reminder that like the course of being evil often means that you're kind of likely to harm yourself first. And I think we've had some iteration of that thought previously in chapters, but that was just a very succinct statement from Theoden. Yeah, I think Gandalf has said something similar about how hatred hurts itself. Mm -hmm. Something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And then the other quote that I liked, um, folks may be familiar with and may have heard from the book. So that's on page 216. And this is Mary sort of chiding Pippin about stirring up trouble, asking lots of questions, meddling, etc. And he says... Quote, now, Pippin, my lad, don't forget Gildor's saying, the one Sam used to quote, do not meddle in the affairs of wizards, for they are subtle and quick to anger. <laughs> and then I just like the comeback of, but our whole life for months has been one long meddling in the affairs of wizards. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. And uh, a well, a well-known one. Mm-hmm. I think in this regard, it does feel like Pippin kind of represents the reader a bit, <laughs> where he's just like, y'all, that's what we've been doing this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> like Gandalf pulled us in to the affairs of said wizard. We are meddling. The meddling has been going on. That's the point of us. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that. Yeah. I like that exchange. Should like a little bit of information as well as danger. Right. Not coming along if you don't tell me what's going on. I know. And then he says later, 
quote, I know I can't have it with old Gandalf sitting on it like a hen on an egg, but it doesn't help much to get no more from you than a you can't have it, so go to sleep. And I'm like, this is a child. This is a child's discussion about a shiny stone, and I love every minute of it. Yes. Oh, my goodness. I I have been in that situation where I'm like, no, I would like more than a chastising. Please. Mm -hmm. Please sympathize with my plight, even if it is basic. Mm-hmm. Even if it does mean that I want pudding, even though I said I couldn't finish dinner because I wasn't hungry anymore. Right. <laughs> that is the vibe of this conversation. A hundred percent. A real example, I might add, from our childhood. <laughs> I remember trying to convince mom and dad that, uh, I think we talked about this on the podcast before too, that ice cream um, if you were full from dinner, that ice cream you still had room for mm-hmm. because it melts it and fills in mm-hmm. all the little cracks in your tummy. And that's not the same for broccoli, which doesn't melt. Right. And then we, I brought the, the phrase sensory specific satiety and we had a long yes. chat about that. That's right. But we were right. They were wrong. It's on the record. I maintain. Yeah. Thank you for those wonderful Talking with Tolkien examples. I would love to hear your action item and what you have brought for both me and the listener to do in order to strengthen our community. Well, I think today's maybe the simplest that I've brought, Mm. and it's that you should engage with ideas that change your perspective. Mm. So seek out voices that are different from your own that may give you a different lens into something you already know a little bit about or that you've never heard of before, and really just kind of change your mind and change your thoughts about really anything. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. It's a hard, well, it's a hard one. (laughs) You say it's simple, but uh, in practice... I think it's much more complicated than than it sounds. So thank you for calling us to to give that a try. You are most welcome. I think it's it's an important practice to get in the habit of recognizing, much like Pippin does throughout this chapter, that we have a pretty limited window into how the world works. And the more that we can expand that window, the more we can expand that aperture, the better community members we can be and the more communities we can be a part of. Mm-hmm. So that's it. The Simply. end. <laughs> Just change your mind and heart. It's Just fine. change your mind, shift perspective, listen to people you don't agree with, and we'll all be better for it. Today's podcast was brought to you by Shadowfax Delivery Service. We're willing to carry your package, or not. Fast by the wind and very smooth, says one satisfied user. Our music is by Robert Zahn and Simon Dom. If you have thoughts on today's episode or homework assignment, send us a voicemail or email at infellowshippodcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Remember to take care of your community, stay hydrated, and thank you for joining us today in fellowship. Oh my god. Okay, we have to get going because it's 90 degrees and I'm sitting under a blanket and I had to turn <laughs> okay. off the AC. So it wasn't so loud. That, oh no, so that okay. it wasn't loud. So we are in a ticking time bomb. Oh, a literal pressure cooker. Literal pressure cooker. Helen, the instant pot. That I was. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just um. Sprayed.
sprayed all over the microphone. That truly startled me just now. Like that was such an expulsion of sound and moisture. Okay, please continue. Yeah. Okay.